Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 31, Ashley Estelle. I'm Brittany. And I'm Carrie. And And we are Lone Star 187. Back for another week. Another week. I missed everyone. I hope they missed us too. I hope they did too, especially... I know we've gotten a lot of new listeners recently. This quarantine has helped. Yes, it's definitely helped. But now I'm back to work. I know you're not, but I'm back to the office. No, I'm still working from home, which is probably a permanent situation for me, but... I'm getting used to it. One thing I... some adjustments, but I'm getting there. I have learned that of all the years I was like, man, I wish I just had a work-from-home job. I am not a work-from-home person. Can't do it, huh? I can't do it. I can't switch my mind from work to home because I'm home. I'm like, oh, I could do laundry. Oh, I could watch The Office. Oh, I can, you know, take a nap. No. Can't do that when you work from home. So... So where are we this week? What's going on? What's the story? We are in Plano, Texas. Wow. Okay. Back backyard. Where I grew up. Uh, stomping grounds. This story, I remember this because I was seven, almost eight, whenever it happened. And the little girl that I'm going to be talking about, Ashley Estelle, was also seven. And because of this incident happening, mom went super duper crazy and we lived off of Spring Creek and Coit across the street from Carpenter Rec Center where this happened. And I wasn't allowed to go outside. So this happened like right around the area where you hung out and stuff. Like where we lived, you know. And I would ride my bike to a couple of other subdivisions attached to ours. Like I never had to go on the main road. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do any of that anymore. Mom was like, nope, wow. you're not going anywhere. Which I now being a parent, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it sucks. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to September the 4th, 1993. It's Labor Day weekend. And even though it's September, it's still hot as hail That's outside. And Ashley Estelle is with her mom and dad, Richard and Diane Estelle. And it is her older brother's soccer tournament. Plano was hosting a uh, annual soccer tournament from all over Texas. Oh, that's smart. Let's let the kids run out in the heat all day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Outside. That's, that's mm-hmm. good. Okay. <laughs> so it was about 95, 97 degrees in the morning because this is about 1045 in the morning. So you can imagine what it's going to be at mm-hmm. 3, 4 o'clock, the temperature. So it was about 276 teams that were in this tournament. So there's a lot of kids outside. Richard and Diane are watching their son play and – it's about 11, left or 11, and Ashley's like, can I go play on the playground? They're like, absolutely, it's a playground right there. Tons of kids, tons of parents, and she goes off to to play. Oh, shit. Well, about 20 minutes later, because they kept looking over, and they saw her, and they saw her. Well, all of a sudden, they didn't see her anymore. And there are two uniformed security uh, policemen that were manning this. Now, when you think about 276 teams, okay, and I don't know how many, how many people are on a team. Maybe, let's say 15, maybe 20. And then you have giant open soccer fields, and you have two uniformed policemen. I mean, I know now, obviously, it's a lot worse. Here in the early 90s, it was still a new thing for kids to be kidnapped. But 
just seemed like maybe a little bit undersecured. But again, we we didn't really know what was going on. So she goes missing at about 11, 11.45 to 11.50. So around noon, they realize something's wrong. So they they find one of the policemen. They say, we need to report our daughter. She's missing. We don't know what's going on. And so they call in ground and air search. They shut the tournaments down. No one leaves until everybody's, all the cars are checked and everything. They go So then they go around to the neighborhoods knocking on doors. Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? Nothing. So the soccer fields are where? At Spring Creek and Coit? Right there behind the, where the water burger and all that stuff is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know where it is. Yeah. yeah. I kind of use that sometimes whenever I want to do a U-turn there, mm-hmm. when I want to go to, like, the stuff on the other side, mm-hmm. and I can't. And if mm-hmm. there's a cop, I'll turn into those and, like, U-turn out. Right. Okay, so I know exactly where those are. And there used to be playgrounds right there because mom would let me ride my bike mm-hmm. across Spring Creek or across Coit over there to play yeah. sometimes. But again, and sometimes even me and dad would go walk there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they ended up getting rid of the playground after a while. But so the next, so they search for her into the night and into the next day, they're still searching for her and they're talking to the parents on TV and they're interviewing them saying, you know, what kind of daughter did you have? And, you know, would she have just gone with anyone? And um, they said, absolutely not. I mean, she was very outgoing, but she wouldn't have gone anywhere without us. She wouldn't have just gone with a stranger. It just doesn't make sense. So by that after, early afternoon, the next day, they have over a thousand people come to volunteer to find her That's from awesome. Fort Worth, Dallas, all around the That's areas awesome. to come to come look. So around noon, six miles away, a family find her at 121 in Custer. About six miles away, they find her body. And as to be expected, the parents are obviously devastated, of course. you know, because here they think, oh, maybe she, I mean, at, at this point, it's barely been 24 hours mm-hmm. since she's been missing. So they think, oh, maybe she just got lost, you know, and or maybe that's, somebody took her and then decided to let her go. Right. Or, or maybe she ran away. Maybe yeah. she's been held captive and she's ran away. Yeah. So, of course, the parents are devastated and the dad had, the mom couldn't do it. So the dad went to the Emmy and identified her body. Mm-hmm. So they released statements that day. Um, that it was ruled a homicide, but they would not give any other clues in what was going on because they felt that, number one, it's going to hurt the case because it's so fresh. Mm-hmm. And number two, this is a child. We really don't need to know. We want to be respectful. Exactly. So the parents, of course, they do a, a press conference, and uh, the dad says, this is surely the saddest and darkest day in our lives, mm-hmm. which I completely agree. So the FBI gets called in because this is devastating. It's awful. awful. And they ask all the parents that were there, because obviously they're there with video cameras, right? They're taping their kids. Oh, oh my, you know, my son made yep. it to the tournament. Not everybody had phones back then, but a lot of families, a lot of dads and moms had their little, their, the mm-hmm. little flip. So they're asking like them. Dad had where it's got the little camera at the top. Yep. just got the little hand there. Yep. You know? So they're like, please, everybody go home, watch all your footage. This is what she looks like. This is what the parents look like. This is what the brother looks like. If you see anything, please turn it into us, and we'll be more than happy to make a copy and give it back to you. So just um, as I go through, I got all of my research from two places. One is a article in D Magazine, and the other was newspaperarchives.com. I filled in the blanks there. So the next day, September 7th, medical examiner William Rohr, he completes his medical examination, and he rules her death a homicide by strangulation with ligature, not by hands. So she was strangled with something. something. Um, he declined about any sexual assault or any other injuries. He just said at this time, I'm just saying she was strangled by 
by ligature. That's that's all I'm saying. And this is more to be respectful to the families and probably also to keep it tight-lipped until they could figure out who it was, right? Right, because any evidence they have, they want that person to admit it mm-hmm. without seeing it on TV. So two, mo- two months prior to Ashley is still going missing, um, an eight-year-old autistic boy was found in Garland, dead, nude, on the side of the road. So they think, oh, my God, there's like a child serial killer, which is Mm -hmm. another reason why everybody's like, lock your doors, don't let your kids Mm -hmm. outside. And school's about to start, right, because it's Labor Day weekend. So people are like, I have to let my kids go to school. Some uh, They had record-breaking first day of schools where kids didn't show up in Plano because so many parents were so afraid. Screw that shit. Yeah, because some kids ride the bus. Some kids ride their bikes. I would have just driven my kid to school, watched my kid get into the building, and then picked my kid up. Yeah. So on Wednesday the 9th, uh, her funeral was at St. Andrew Methodist, and she was um, buried in Wrestling Memorial. 900 people came. So investigators start releasing some information, and they do say, we did find bits and pieces of evidence near the body that we're still sorting through, but we're not going to give any specifics. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, I mean, it could have been anyone. I mean, anyone at that tournament. And it's from all over Texas. So some people could have already driven back to where they were from. So the next day takes us to September the 10th. Investigators are near the crime scene, and they keep seeing this car drive by and drive by. And they're like, didn't we see that car yesterday? Didn't we see that car the other day? That car has been here quite a few times. So and it's common for mm-hmm. the perp to drive around right. or hang around mm-hmm. when they're looking for the body or doing like a search right. or even show up at funeral. So they go up to the car and they confront the person driving. And the man driving is 23-year-old Michael Blair, who he said he works, he drives a Ford Escort, and he's a carpet cleaner. That's what he does for a living. And he's like, hey, have you guys found any clues? Got any leads on this girl who's missing? Or the, the this girl that was killed? And they said he acted very nervous, and he was very excitable, and they look in the back seat, and they see stuffed animals in the back seat. And he's like, oh, oh those aren't mine. I found them this morning um, near a trash can. And they're like, okay, we need you in your car, (laughs) right? And he, uh, we need you in your car and we're going to, we want to take you in for questioning. So they, they tow the car and they take him in to question him. He was born in Thailand. So I'm sure he's probably not used to all this Americanized stuff because he's only 23. So I don't know how long he'd been here. Yeah. So he goes in for questioning and then they release him because they really don't have anything on him. I mean, he doesn't really have. They're suspicious of him, but they can't really. Put right. They, on they him, can't really so hold they don't him. Have a choice. But I bet they're going to watch him. Yes. They decide to put a tail on him. And so the next day, he calls the newspaper. Wait, they put a tail on him? What mm-hmm. kind of tail? Like a donkey? Like tail? a fuzzy tail? <laughs> Sorry, I had. <laughs> so he calls the newspaper the next day on September the 11th. He's like, hey, I'm innocent. And yeah, I wanted to help look for her, but I'm innocent. Like, I didn't do anything. Um, her story touched me, and I wanted to, to help. And they arrested me. And they found me near where she was, but, like, where, where she was found. But, like, that, I didn't do it. So I just want to make sure whenever you put stuff out in the newspaper, just make sure that my name's in there and I said I didn't do it. Because I don't want them to say that I did it. Like, I, like yeah, I had stuffed animals, but I found them in a trash can. And I, I took them out. But, like, I didn't do it. <laughs> I don't believe he gets kicked out of his house. He was running an apartment with his boss in Dallas, and he kicks him out. He probably gets fired too, right? No, he still works. So he moves to the Hotel 6 off 75 oh, in oh, Plano. Oh, that is right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he moves there. It's right there before Parker, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so he moves there and he stays there. And they come there to question him because they, you know, they they're following him, and they decide that they have enough evidence to charge him with charge him with murder. At this point, they feel they have enough evidence. But isn't it all circumstantial though, still? Or is there new evidence that they got that we you haven't? I haven't talked about yet. Okay. So in the newspaper, they say he's been charged with murder. We have no other suspects at this time. We're going to continue it. Continue to investigate. But due to his behavior is why he was pinpointed. But in a car analysis, they found hairs that matched Ashley's. Oh, so they, oh shit, in his car? Mm-hmm. But nothing that would tie him to the eight-year-old boy that's still unsolved. So they wanted okay. them to know that if there is a serial child killer, rapist, whatever, it, these two are not connected. These two are, one's a boy, one's a girl, one is autistic, one is um, has normal IQ. So they're they're just two... Different. Well, the Dif- kids are different, but that doesn't mean it's not the same killer. Just because he doesn't have any evidence on that yet doesn't mean he didn't do it. True. True. I mean, just because he's serial doesn't mean that his victims are all the same. He could be, that was an opportunity that he couldn't pass up, so he maybe did something that he mm-hmm. shouldn't have done or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, And I will say, at this time in Plano, there was about 150,000 people in Plano. And Plano was rated... Uh, the lowest crime in the state and the safest place to live during this time. So people that moved here for that reason are like WTF. (laughs) Why did I move here? And then kids are getting snatched. So on September 16th, about a week later, upon researching who Mr. Michael Blair is, they realized that he is a convicted sex offender. Uh Oh, and he had a previous sentence of 10 years in 1988 for indecency with a child and burglary, but he was released after 18 months of the 10-year sentence. In what in what county? In what here in, in Dallas? Here in Plano DFW area? In uh, yes, in Texas. It was in Texas. But you don't know if it was the same area. It wasn't this area. Oh, it was somewhere else in Texas. So yes. he moved here to like try to start over. And so during the time he was in jail, he had been cited more than a dozen times for disciplinary actions, including possession of a deadly weapon. So and the why Texas the fuck did they let him out? Texas Parole Board blamed a foul up of paperwork on them not knowing his sightings during his jail time. So that is some bullshit right there. I will say that when I go through this story, what happens because of this is why I chose this story. I mean, okay. unfortunately, a poor child lost her life and a family lost a very young child Mm -hmm. that part is devastating but what came of her death is amazing okay so another week goes by and the state senator calls for an investigation and a change in parole laws clearly florence good for them florence shapiro has revealed several shocking and unacceptable deficiencies deficiencies in the laws governing sex offenders because mind you at this time in 1993 they didn't have to register to be a sex offender. They didn't ha- they could still live near schools. They could still live near playgrounds. Mm-hmm. They could they had to uh, register per se while they were on probation, but once that ended, they, lost track a long time. they weren't under the radar anymore. They were yeah. free to be whoever they wanted. So two months later, um, Tom Thumb, this is really cool. So I read in the newspaper there was a I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. There was a three minute video that um, a guy on KDFW Texas News did a three-minute stranger danger video trying to aid parents and other people on what to teach their children and for children to watch to know what to do in the event that someone comes up to them. And that's where they invented, like, 
the safe word. And, you know, like if, because people were using, oh, your mom was in an accident and told me to come pick you up. So they started saying you need to have a safe word in your family. You know, that word is pineapple is my safe word. (laughs) (laughs) And if they don't say pineapple, you can't go with them, right? You know they're lying. Exactly. And, um, you know, if somebody wants to talk to you about puppies, you don't go with them. If they want to offer you candy, you don't go with them. If they ask for directions, you don't go. Those are the basic things that strangers do. It was like this huge thing. So Tom Thumb, do you remember when Tom Thumb used to do rentals, like movie rentals? Yes. Okay, so Tom Thumb purchased 200 videos of Stranger Danger and the DFW Metroplex and offered free rental for two days. Because they were Good like, we do not want this to happen yes. to anyone else. And maybe if... contribution to... Yes. Shutting this shit down right now. Mm-hmm. So, so six months go by. Because, right, he's he's in jail. They're going through all this sex offender stuff. These laws are trying to figure stuff out. So, um, Mitchell Elementary, they build a park named Ashley Park in remembrance of her. Three months later, in August of 94, which is almost a year, they decide to move the trial to Midland and they start jury selection. Yeah, he's definitely not going to get a fair trial here because everybody's going to be like, Fry that dude. Yeah, I don't even care. He's a sex mm-hmm. offender, and he possibly killed someone else. Just get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Just get rid of him. So September 13th of 1994, the trial starts. So prosecution starts, and they start with that, you know, he left her strangled body in a ditch thick with brush, and she would have been scared in the dark. And mm-hmm. the defense attorney's like, this made me so mad. He told the jury, you just need to stay emotionally detached and just think that a life was lost. Don't focus on the age. Fuck you. <laughs> Do you have children? I wouldn't be able to be on that jury because I can't emotionally. And actually, even if I didn't have children, I love kids too much. I wouldn't be able to detach emotionally. I would just fly out and say, yeah, you don't probably don't want to pick me. Yeah. If it has to do with the elderly, children, or the disabled, or mentally disabled, I'm like, they, they should die. Mm-hmm. You pick the most vulnerable, vulnerable people to pick on, you should get the electric chair. Regardless of what you did to him, if you choose that, then you're a pansy and a coward, mm-hmm. right? So ADA Brian Clayton was like, I'm going to show you in chronological order how Michael did this. And Michael's car, there was candy, there were stuffed animals, he had long stem roses, binoculars, and he had numerous newspaper clippings about Ashley and three hairs identified as Ashley's found in his car. So there's more than enough evidence to binoculars? prove. Binoculars? Binoculars. Why is that so creepy to me? What's even creepier oh. is this guy's less than five foot tall. He's like four foot so ten or four foot eleven. With all of those other fucking kids. Yeah, and some and another and a kid may have thought he was another kid. Oh, so September fifteenth of ninety four, the trial gets diverted. It's put on hold. Postponed. Postponed for about a week because a tech complained that he felt his supervisor ordered him to destroy a report about a chance that. Blair may be innocent. And so tampering. Yeah. He's he's like, well, the way that he told me, I thought I was being ordered to destroy evidence. I'm not going to do that. That's not what was happening, though. Oh, okay. So it was a huge thing. So a whole other week goes by. The trial resumes and Blair's boss. Maybe that was intentional by the defense to plant. I mean, by the, yeah, by the defense to plant just a little tiny seed that maybe he is innocent. Mm, or just to buy time. Yeah. So a week goes by, September 21st, 94. Kenneth Lancaster, which was Blair's boss, testified that 
Michael Blair was sleeping in a recliner when a group of people left for a flea market at 1035 the day that Ashley disappeared. And when they got back six hours later, he was still sleeping. Now, I find that really hard to believe. I mean, you're a carpet cleaner, right? Like, you're not like a carpenter. You're not like a contractor. Okay, what do you find hard to believe? That he couldn't sleep that long? That he slept six hours and they said that there was nothing different about him. Like, he hadn't changed clothes. He hadn't got up. Nothing was, he, there, no food was missing. His car hadn't moved. Like, six, that's like, what, four o'clock in the afternoon? He still hasn't moved from the recliner. He's not been awake at all. Yeah, but we don't know what he did the day before. What if he stayed out all night? Like, I mean, there are so many things, so many factors that could go into that. And even if he did do it, they're, what they think they remember isn't very accurate. So That's true, yeah. it's very likely that they just said that because... Well, he was, that and, he was still there. Well, that doesn't mean he didn't leave. Maybe right. He knows, I'm just saying, I like, park my car in the same spot every day. So if I leave and come back, and I'm still on the couch and my car hasn't moved, unless the ring goes off, mom's not going to know if I left or not. No, but I'm saying is that how how are we expected to believe that he just laid there for six hours? Like he just laid there. You're saying he didn't leave. He didn't do anything. I mean, it's possible. Like, what if he's sleeping? Like, what if you had a rough night? If you had a rough night, and you didn't sleep. I could see myself posting up in a recliner for six hours and dozing off and watching TV and sleeping. I guess. I guess I'm just lazy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, and he's young too, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that's that far-fetched, honestly. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so ADA Brian Clayton stated his friends just made up the alibi. And he cited that a police statement... The day after he was arrested, one of the friends said Blair wasn't at the apartment that morning. And he's like, no, no, no. I know the chair. I saw the chair. No one was in the chair. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was it. Because he didn't speak that good of English. So that was his, <laughs> I saw the chair. There was no one in the chair. When I arrived, and when I arrived the second time, no one in the chair. So why would they be covering for him? don't know. That's a good question. Okay. So another week goes by. And of, um, of, you know, different witness statements, um, his ex-girlfriend got on the stand and said that he raped her every day they were together, that she tr- she didn't, she wanted to leave, but she was scared of him. I'm thinking, the guy's four foot ten. Like, what are you scared of? Was she smaller than him? <laughs> I hope not. I'm just asking. I don't know. I mean, Jack's like four foot ten. I know, but. Can you imagine? I can't imagine being scared. Yeah. So she's like, he raped me all the time. I tell him no, and he did it anyway. So he has. You hit him so hard in the nuts that he doesn't even want to think about sex. Or just like Pack stand up. Go. <laughs> stand I up. I said no. No means no. Mother. Is that with a frying pan or something? Right. She must not have been a Texan. That's it. <laughs> That's what That's it is. That's exactly what it is. So he. So Blair decides to take the stand. So he goes up there. He's like, "I'm innocent. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, I don't know if I was there. Maybe I was. Maybe I wasn't. What? But um. Is he on drugs? Not that we're aware of. No. Hmm. And they're like, we. you also told us that you molested your six-year-old half-sister when you were 16. He's like, yeah, I lied about that, too. No, I, I didn't Why do that. Why would you lie about that? Did they check with his parents to see if that was true? Did they ask the little girl? Okay. So another couple of days go by, and del- deliberations happen. They, The jurors go back, and they sentence him to death after 90 minutes. They decide he needs to die. And then after 27 minutes, they decide it's by lethal injection. I mean, because he did have her hairs in his car. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if he had nothing to do with it, then he never even tried to explain those, did he? Right. Okay. Right. So the ADA, he's so funny, Brian Clayton. This is what he said. See our salty He's the salty one. 
He said, I would describe him as a subterranean little troll in a roach you just can't get rid of. <laughs> Getting roaches. Right? That's awesome. Um, so a couple months later, Blair's, you know, he's in jail. He knows he's going to die. And he's like, I'm innocent. And there's still a real killer out there on the loose. You're just wasting your time with me. So he called the Plano Star Courier to be in the newspaper. And the he's like, time. yes. He's oh. like, just so you know, I have no remorse. Because you can't have remorse over death you didn't do. I have no remorse and I'm innocent. Okay, good. So three months later, in February 15th of 1995, Richard and Diane Estelle, the parents of, of Ashley, uh, they urged Senate, uh, the Senate Criminal Justice Committee to adopt a package of 18 bills that would toughen the laws against sex offenders because they feel like if this guy had been in jail, our daughter wouldn't be gone. Yep, if they hadn't let him out. So Senator Florence Shapiro sponsored and named the laws Ashley's Laws. Awesome. And why does the name Shapiro sound familiar? Is that isn't that the name of a really high powered lawyer in mm-hmm. in like the New York or L A area? Something Shapiro, wasn't that OJ's Robert Shapiro? Yes, American lawyer. He was a member of the Dream Team. Yes, I knew that name. So I wonder if yeah. there's any relation. Maybe. Okay. Hey, the Shapiro Law Firm, Collin County Family Law. Bam. Is so it is in relation? I guess so. That's badass. Okay, well, that's why. All right, continue. So some of the laws in this 18 bills, uh, one of them was repeat sex offenders could be sentenced to life without parole, which I agree with. Offenders who commit a crime involving a child would be required to serve 85% of their sentence before being eligible for for parole, which is fair enough. Do that. Deferred adjudication would be eliminated as a sentence for certain sex offenders. As it should. Me too. I'm like, deferred adjudication. I do that all the time for speeding. That's really the only time that should be allowed. (laughs) That's the only time. Prohibit convicted offenders from entering child safety zones, such as park schools or arcades Mm -hmm. or, you know, playgrounds. And allow evidence of other offenses committed by defendants to be admitted into prosecution of any sex crimes under 17. So they were saying, like, let's say that you're being charged with rape, right? You, no, let's not pretend that I'm being charged with that. <laughs> let's say that there's a person. <laughs> For the record, guys, she's pointing at me and looking at me and saying, let's say you're being charged with rape. No, I don't want that hypothetical <laughs> bullshit in the universe. Point over there. Let's point at the long I would like to see a guy be like, she raped me. I'd be like, boy, please. This cannot rape okay, anything. So let's pretend this book rapes someone. Let, let's pretend that this book over here rapes okay, someone. This person raped someone. That now person's, let's go with the hypothetical. That person's 28, and they touched a 10-year-old. They raped a 16-year-old. And then they watched porn with a 13-year-old. Because those are three different offenses, some are not labeled the same type of sexual crime. So they're saying that regardless of what the crime is, if, if it's, it's sexual, if it's a sex crime, it's... It, and it's, it's a child, it should all count. All count, yeah. yeah. So those were the, the five I like those. bills. I thought you said there were 18. Well, there's 18, I'm sorry, there's 18 bills, but those were the five headliners. Okay. And then underneath that are like the subpar things, you know. okay. Uh, about a month goes by, and the Senate gives the okay for repeat sex offenders to face mandatory life sentences without re- parole for 40 years. Good. So they say, no matter how young you are, even if you're 21, you get a life sentence with per- when you're not eligible for parole for 40 years. That's how they feel. And then, of course, they said it would be called Ashley's Law, and they also would not be able to live near parks or schools. So they start putting into place that the sex offenders – when they get released or if they get, if it's a misdemeanor and they're not put in jail, 
then they have to find their own place to live. They can't mm-hmm. live within so many and they wherever. Have to report. They have to like report in. This is where I live. They have yep. to Give the address. And, and at this time, they didn't have to have a picture. It was just their name. Okay. Initially, just their name. So now we are. We don't hear anything until June of ninety-five. So when he's in jail this time. He's in jail. Yeah, he's okay. serving his time. So June of nineteen ninety-five, the sex offender registry also says that they update. Ashley's law gets updated that sex offenders will also have to register for 10 years. So previously, like I said, they would have to register while they're on parole or probation, and then it ended. But now they're saying it lasts for 10 years after that. And they added, this was crazy to me, they added in 95, indecency with a child, aggravated sexual child assault, and performance by child. Before, those three weren't considered aggravated sexual crimes. Now... Now they were. And those were also added to the life that also went to the life sentence as well. You don't hear anything else for another six months. And because of all these laws that have been put into place, in January of 96, I read there was like a whole bunch of articles in Burleson Mm -hmm. where... That is right. It's mm -hmm. close to Fort Worth. My friend Jenny lives there. Hi, Jenny. These parents are getting all these... Things in the mail of where your where sex offenders live in your area. See now they have websites, mm-hmm. but back then mm-hmm. the internet was still new. And they're like, "Oh my gosh, all these sex offenders live near me. What are you going to do about it?" Well, Burleson's like, "Oh shit, we didn't realize that we they're need right to by a school, and we need to tell them they have to move because they know they live there. But if they bought that house." What are they going to do? They have to put it on the market, well, go find some. They such fucking perverts, and they wouldn't have to deal with it. Agreed. So I don't feel bad. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying I feel bad I for them. I'm just saying these people that are sex offenders are like, well, if they don't tell me to leave, I'm not going to. Some uprooted themselves and left because they sure. didn't want to go back to jail. Yeah. And some were like, oh, I'm still next to a school. And some were like, oh, no, I got to pack up and leave. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to jail. I'm, I'm done with that. So there was like all this uproar in Burleson where people were freaking out. They're like, we can't. Put our kids go outside because sex offenders live too close by. And mm-hmm. what are we going to do? So it was a big thing. So another eight months go by. And Michael Blair has been appealing and appealing and appealing. But his appeal was denied. denied. And um, he's had already had one stay of execution. And so his argument was that the trial court admitted testimony concerning the photo ID of his car. Because he said... Well, whenever you showed my car being around the park and around the scene of the crime and all that, mine was the only one that didn't have a license plate on the front, and all the others did. So, of course, they're going to choose that one. Did the others have a little girl's fucking hair in the back seat? No. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) So, of course, they're like, um, so the court's like, yeah, that's not impermissibly suggestive. So, we're we're good. So, shut up. So, no. Go back to jail. You going to die. Sorry. (laughs) So again, in April of 99, he appealed, he was denied. So then he decides, I guess he realizes, well, I'm screwed. So I'm just going to tell you everything about my life. So in July, he calls the warden in, wants to talk to the warden, wants to talk to people high up in the jail. And he's like, just so you know, I've molested more than a dozen children. What? 16 to be exact. So now he wants to be like, I want you guys to know how disgusting i am 
And well, he's proud of it at mm-hmm. this point, right? He's like, well, I can't die without them knowing my story. Yes, between the ages of three and 15. No, I'm going to throw He up. said, I never told police because it would have harmed my case. And they were already convinced I murdered that child. I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of, but I didn't murder anyone. And they're like, yeah, your execution set up for two weeks from now. <laughs> you go and die in two weeks. So then what he... Did they never make him explain why her hair was back there? I know I can't let that go, but... Girl, I, I, I'll, I'll get there. Okay. I promise. Right. Okay. He gets his day of execution because he says, well, before you kill me, I want a private lab to run everything that you've already ran because I have all this money. People love me and support me, and I have this money now. People are sending him money. And yeah, now- and he's part of the Innocence Project because he's just is so innocent, even though he's molested 16 people, kids. And so he pays for an out. He he wants an outside lab. Okay. So they find outside lab. They say, okay, don't worry. So now the Innocence Project is helping him get his stay of execution. Yes. Along with he's going to basically write an autobiography mm-hmm. through the warden and however. Right. So in lab. June of 2000, an independent North Carolina lab conducted a DNA test of one of the hairs found in Blair's vehicle. It was inconclusive to be Ashley's. Shit. So then why did they say it was hers? They just really wanted to catch somebody? So two of the other hairs tested both came back also inconclusive. So Governor George Bush issued his first reprieve recommendation in five and a half years. And Blair's attorney asked for the other two hairs that were that there were two hairs found on Ashley's body. They wanted those hairs tested by the independent lab. Mm-hmm. And a prosecution expert testified that microscopic analysis showed they came from a man the same race as Blair, but couldn't confirm if it was actually Blair. Okay. Because at this time, hair wasn't as big as it is now. Because they kept trying to say that hair is not like fingerprints or blood, even though hair is DNA. They were trying to say that it wasn't as... And I guess back then, they mm-hmm. was saying that. Now we know that's bullshit, because you can still tell. Mm-hmm. So a year later, March of 2001, Forensic Lab in Pennsylvania performed a DNA test on two of the untested hair fragments that were in Ashley's waistband, and they were not Blair's. They asked for the case to be dismissed. But under the new Ashley's law, because he's a repeat sex offender, because he already said he was, he's going to jail for life. Okay, so he's still in jail, just we don't, he didn't Mm -hmm. kill her. So, right. So then this brings us to, there's this reporter named Jackie Hilburn. And in June of 2001, so this is three months after they come out and say that mm-hmm. the hair is not there, we find a lot about, find out a lot about Mr. Michael Blair. Okay. And so does that mean that someone in the previous trial committed perjury by saying that? No, that was what the, that's what the lab says. Okay. So, and again, this was in 94 yeah. and we're now. So DNA testing was yeah. still fairly new and they were still just um, understanding it, right? Yep. So this journalist Jackie Hilburn goes and visits Michael Blair in jail for like almost a year. So this is like a silence of the lambs. Yes. And he kind of, yes, it's pretty crazy. And the first time she meets with him, she's like, well, he, she sits down and he's like, why are you here? I, cause he gets so many interviews, right? Cause he's so famous and everything. And he said, I didn't kill that little girl. I've been wrongly accused and now they're going to kill me. What else do you want to know? He's very bitter, very short. Mm-hmm. And he's like, she's like, well, actually, I came to talk about you. I want to know about you. And he's like, oh, well, what do you want to know? <laughs> and she's like, well, let's just kind of start with your childhood. Like, where'd you grow up? And a little bit about you. So he goes on to say, like, I grew up in a broken home. I'm a native, native of Thailand. I never knew my dad. My mom had a lot of mental problems. And I was sexually abused as a child. And so I did the same on a young female relative. 
my six-year-old half-sister okay. while growing up. And she tried to commit suicide. And I don't think it's because of me, but I think it's because of me. He's like, oh, but, you know, it didn't stop with her. I have a lot of other victims, too. Um, I've assaulted a lot of people, but I've never killed anyone. And they were always children of my associates. I never went after strangers. Um, I, he's like, I could tell you things that would give you nightmares, but I'm not going to do that to you. But let me show you something. So he goes into his coveralls, and he pulls out a wallet. And he keeps a picture of each of his victims and their names, where they live, and how to get in touch with them if he wants. He's like, I can pay the guards. Look at me all the information I want. So not only has he victimized these children, and some of these kids were so young, they may not even know what happened to them. Oh, my God. And now they're seven, eight, nine years old. So that means it's people that he cleaned their carpets. Like, he went in their house to clean their carpets and saw their children. Oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you who they are. Okay. He's, Somebody needs to cut his dick off. Right? So after he, because, I mean, it happened in 94, he was 23. So now he, he's like 30. He's a still a young guy with a high sex drive, like, Cut his oh, prostate, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because in between the interviews, he would write her letters. And she said she got 800 letters in a really year. Loved him and he would detail all the crimes and the things that he did. And she said he stalked and victimized innocent children. He stated, um, it started December 29th of 1996. I was staying at a friend's house. I'm sorry, 86. He stayed at a friend's house and a young girl was there. He kissed her while she was sleeping and then fondled her while he watched porn while she was sleeping. And he said, um, if I give you all the information of all these people I molested, could you, like, talk to them? And if they come forward, like, I'll admit it. But can you see if they remember? Yeah. And, like, how did it feel? And I'm like, twisted. Yeah. Twisted. So he said, "I've I've, I've assaulted children all across the United States, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio, and Texas. So he wanted to, there was a, the, the youngest, which is a three-year-old little girl, he wanted to find out how she was doing. So he wrote a letter to the church that he worked at, that he went to, that he molested her in, wrote a letter to a church worker in Wisconsin saying he abused this three-year-old girl in church daycare, that he touched her and tried to penetrate her, but she gave him permission. She's three. Mm-hmm. In a church? In a church. And then... There is a special place in hell for him. Then he drew a map of the church and circled all the areas he assaulted her. She gave him permission. Mm -hmm. At three. He... And then when he moved here to Plano, he lived in those apartments off Spring Creek and Independence, right there across from the bank. No, really? Yes. And he, he molested a little girl that was five or six. Her mom worked at the Walmart of 75... And the dad worked as a security officer for the complex. And he would, whenever he would see the dad leave the apartment to go to work and be gone for a while, he'd go into the apartment and molest her and then go back because to his she apartment. Was in there by herself. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just when you thought it could get twisted, any more twisted, Jackie receives a letter. And when opening it, it contains a packet of his skin, Michael Blair's skin, like flakes of it. And he writes in there, I'm providing you a sample of my skin, of which I shed daily. Really, motherfucker? Like, we don't know that everybody sheds their skin daily? And a photocopy from my, my pediatrician as a child in a medical journal showing symptoms of cirrhosis, which is not like cirrhosis of the liver. Liver, it's X-E-R-O-S-I-S, which is considered like rough, dull skin. It's like psoriasis. Right. So that means he would have left evidence everywhere he went. So he's like, I've had it since childhood. And he even showed her in the interview. He like rubbed his arm and flakes of skin fell off. Ew. 
So he said whenever the murder occurred, it was a hot Labor Day, a hot Labor Day weekend. And if I committed the crime, this would be all over her. So take this as proof. And if none of this is found on her body, then I should be exonerated. I mean, he's he's got a point. I can't dispute that. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless he wore gloves and a long sleeve shirt and a mask. Yeah. But, and that, but that would have been very obvious. Not if he's doing, I mean, not initially. Whenever no, I he's mean, doing. on the playground taking her, that would have been really obvious. Oh, I see so what you're saying. even if he I, I was talking did about, that when he got her in the car, he still would have gotten some on her when he Trying to take her, her. that's the, true. Because I'm sure she didn't go willingly. She probably was like, I don't know who you are, mm-hmm. leave me alone, right? So he admits that he became obsessed with um, Ashley's uh, kidnapping and um, other unsolved child murders. Because was he jealous that it wasn't him? Um, very, very, that's possible. He said he heard of Ashley's kidnapping on TV and became obsessed and couldn't resist going to the crime scene. He said, I drove to Carpenter Park that night and made myself uh, made myself a silent promise to follow the girl's case until the police found the person or persons responsible. He said, I had an insatiable appetite for info about Ashley, so he joined the search party and taped a flyer to his car. When he found out about her death, he tried to remove the flyer from the car, but but the flyer ripped in half and half was around her neck in the exact place she was strangled, which is they found that flyer in his car. So they felt like he did it as a symbol of what he did, not this story, he said. So because he was below five foot tall, he likes smaller people. So Jackie just asks him, she's like, so do you like adult women? And he's like, oh, yes. And it was the only time he smiled. <laughs> right? Like, I oh. imagine like, hey, bit. That's so gross. Get your perverted ass away from me. So then he talked about the one that got away. Right before he moved to Plano, he said, or into Dallas, he um, saw a girl in Venus, Texas, riding her bike with her brother. And he said he pulled up alongside her and he asked her for directions and he reached for a knife. And as he was going to pull it up, he said she looked at him and she smiled and they locked eyes. And he's like, I don't know, something in me just snapped. And I thought, oh my God, I can't do this. So I threw the knife in my, in the, um, and just drove off. And it was just days before he moved here and the whole Ashley Estelle thing happened. So lucky. Very lucky. So fast forward to 2002, his, the Innocence Project want the fingernail scrapings from Ashley's fingernails. Because this time they think about doing that. Mm-hmm. And it takes six years to get, to find out those, those scrapings, get the evidence out. And the DNA profiles match two men, but neither one of them are Blair. They match two men. Two men, two different profiles. Two different DNA profiles. Uh, Blair was removed from death row instantly, but not from prison. He was given a life sentence because of the molestations. This was super funny. So you know how when people are exonerated, right, and and they leave, they get a bunch of money, right? So he's like, when am I going to get my million dollars? And they're like, excuse me, that's for people that get released and that are actually exonerated of all their crimes. And if you hadn't molested all those people, then you'd be free. And then but that, they don't get a million fucking dollars. No, and they said the the purpose of the money is to allow them to live to start a new life. Because some people aren't gonna hire them. They're exactly. Have a hard time finding a job, finding Their names are gonna to be in the media and yeah. a hard time finding a place to live and a car and all that. Believe that they're really innocent, so their mm-hmm. life is fucked. So So they the of the yeah, and of course they were like, he no. He in a fantasy world. Yeah, yeah. And so he'll be in jail the rest of his life. They're, of the two DNA profiles they found, they found four suspects that match that. One of them is deceased. One of them is 
well, at this time was in jail for life for murder. In 2008, this, the, the second person they thought it was of the, that matched the DNA profiles on death row or in jail for a crime. And by the time that they found the person, found what prison he was in, he died of cancer in the jail. Third person who they were pretty, they wouldn't release the name, but they were pretty sure that this one was for sure involved, but they couldn't prove it 100% because they can't get his DNA because they couldn't find him. But he actually, after the murder happened, he went, he bought a house and lived right behind the crime scene. And he visited the park and the playground where she was at almost every single day. And then when this came out, he disappeared. Oh, okay. And the, and the name like, that he bought the house under wasn't his name. Okay. So they're pretty sure he was involved somehow. They have pictures of him, but no one knows where he is. But there were only there was only DNA of two people. Well, there were two profiles, but there were four hits in the big database. So one could be a brother or a dad yeah, or, you know, a something. Um, so unfortunately, the crime is unsolved. But I felt that because even though they didn't find out who did it for sure... All of the the hundreds and thousands and millions of lives that have been saved because of it and the new laws that are put in place to protect our children mm-hmm. is... Well, and they did find DNA matches, but the people that matched the DNA were either dead or already in jail. So They're not like out running DNA, around. If their DNA is under her fingernails, I feel like they're, they're responsible for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Otherwise, why? Right. So, um, yeah. So what prison is the psycho Blair guy at? Huntsville. And so the the park, we see it all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not like a playground or anything there. Not anymore, no. Is it no. called Carpenter Park? Mm-hmm. Yep. And Custer and 121, I drive there all the time. Mm-hmm. But because that was just, at that time, it was just a two-lane road. Yeah, now it's a big highway and yeah. a bunch of stuff on the other side of it. Well, mm-hmm. on your side of it. Yeah, I'm not sure what corner it was but it was somewhere around Custer 121 which isn't very far so basically they just went it was six miles yeah just went straight down Coyd and then took a right and so I guess that's just where they dumped her and that's terrible poor little girl although I'm really glad of all of the good things that came out of it so you're right it's kind of like that Amber thing where the parents were like this isn't going to happen to any other people's Mm -hmm. children so yep Good for them. Yep. And I mean, it changed a lot of things in my school district because I remember I remember us watching the Stranger Danger things all the time. And I, I remember being scared just to, like, go check the mail. I'm sure because mom had, mom and dad had different work schedules. So wasn't there, like, a time, like a two- or three-hour time frame where you were home alone? Not when I was this young because grandmother lived with us. Oh, okay. This was in the first Spur Ranch house. Okay. Um, so we used to live in a cul-de-sac that was called Spur Ranch. And we lived in one house. And then after a couple of years, we moved literally across the street in the cul-de-sac. So we both lived, at, we, at one time, we lived on one corner, and then we moved in around the other corner of the same cul-de-sac. So we called it the first house and second house, for those that don't know. That house, because I was eight, we had just moved into that house. Because we lived there, yeah, we just we had just moved over there into that Biltmore edition. Mm-hmm. Whenever I read it, I was like, I remember this. And even when I told mom, I was like, I'm going to do the Ashley Estelle. She's like, oh my gosh, I remember that. Like it's, mm-hmm. she still remembered it after, yeah. you know, 30 years. I think every parent would because that scars you and you don't want, you know, I would be the same way. And know? literally down, like down the street, you could see the park from our house. You could mm-hmm. step on the sidewalk and see the park. And then when I got older, they had Plano Saturday night at that rec center mm-hmm. that mom would drop me off at, you know? So it's just, 
And you get scared when it happens in your own backyard. Absolutely. You know, places you're very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, and that you've developed a security with. I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, I had a friend named Jennifer that lived two subdivisions down and I'd ride my bike through the neighborhood to her house, which was probably two, maybe probably two miles. And mom would let me and then. Well, but you didn't get on court. You no. stayed in the neighborhood. Yeah, I, stayed, I went through yeah. the neighborhood and it was about two miles that way. And maybe not two miles, maybe a little over a mile. And I'd call her when I got there and I'd call her when I left. Mm-hmm. And she'd wait at the end of the driveway for me to, to come in. But after that, no, that didn't happen anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, that it was a sh- shitty situation, but a good story. Yeah. I yeah. felt like when I, when I didn't, re- it just became unsolved, obviously, when they exonerated him from the crime. But I thought, you know, it's an important story to tell because I hate that this little girl lost her life and the parents lost a child. But because of it, I mean, they changed the laws so other people wouldn't get hurt. And even though I hate that that guy did get in trouble for something he didn't do, he still he did stuff. He's And he and probably would have never confessed to that had they not put him in jail for this. Well, until next week. Thanks for support and listening and sharing and liking all of our stuff. We love you guys. All right. Lodestar 187 out. <laughs> Bye, y'all.